Welcome to the Living Clean Podcast. I'm your co-host Mason S. With me as always is Travis K. This podcast is not meant to replace meeting, sponsorship, step work, or service. This is meant to be just another tool in your recovery toolbox. Our guests are here to share their experience, strength, and hope with recovery through Narcotics Anonymous. Thank you for joining us. Welcome back to the Living Clean Podcast. Here we are for another episode. I hope everybody's um, been enjoying the show up until this point. Give a quick shout out. Uh, Last night I had the uh, opportunity to be on the Anonymous Podcast. If you're not checking that out, please check that out. That's a good show. They do a daily check-in. They dive into a bunch of good things and you know, they're really doing some awesome stuff over there. So check out the anonymous podcast. But meanwhile, back to the living clean podcast, I'm Mason S. I'm an addict with me as always is TK. Yeah. yeah. Tonight we got a very special guest. We got Mr. Brexton L. Brexton, how you doing, buddy? Man, what's going on? How's it going? Well, it's going, um, you want to start with your clean date, give your home group a shout out? Yeah. Yeah. So my name's Braxton. Uh, I'm an addict. Um, my clean date is May 13th of 2020. And uh, my home group is Newcomers Group here in Homewall, Tennessee. Woo-woo. Woo-woo. So you're working, working on four years. Man, I got three years, three months, and... A handful of days. But who's yes. counting, right? Who's counting? Yeah. That's right. Well, we had Brixton scheduled earlier um, in the series of the steps. Uh, something happened, and we couldn't make that happen. But the good thing is, is I think the reason why we that didn't work out is because he was meant to come on here and talk about some of the things that he's going to talk about tonight, which – our topic tonight is, you know, getting clean or young in recovery. He got clean uh, at a fairly young age. Hell, he's still young, and he's got almost he's working on four years. So, but before we get to that, we got um, a whole list of things to talk about tonight. We got a whole list of things. Yeah, whole list of things. Yeah, and we're kind of on one, so forgive us. You know, me and Travis was about to choke each other out before we got started over some technical problems. And this, <laughs> I, I think it's called you want to run shit. And this, and all this motherfucker <laughs> had the audacity to tell me, just listen to me and do what I say and we won't have a problem. Can you all believe that? Fix, control, and manage. Yeah. Me tell you. Anyway, that's enough about us. Let's get to our guest. Um, Brexton? Call you sponsor. Oh, I, I'm going to. I'm going to, uh, Brexton, man, you want to kind of tell us about how you got introduced to NA, what, um, you know, and you know, what it looked like before you got here, what happened and what it's like now. And then we'll get, I know you'll touch on some of the things, but we'll dive into the topic. And after you kind of tell your, your story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so again, my name is Brexton Nominatic. Um, and so to tell a little bit about myself and like you said, how I got introduced to Narcotics Anonymous, um, 
Well, first off, um, I got clean at a young age. You know, I got clean at 21 years old. Um, but growing up before Narcotics Anonymous, uh, I came from a a family uh, a family of addicts. I came from a a lifestyle of uh, where just uh, using was was uh, common in the home. Um, and so how I got introduced to Narcotics Anonymous is that some years later, you know, my parents were addicts, but my mother, she got clean through the pro- program. <clears throat> and uh, she got clean, I believe, whenever I was, uh, I'd say, maybe 13 years old. Yeah, I believe I was 13 years old when she got clean. Uh, so that would be right at maybe 12, I believe, 12 years ago. And she... Uh, but I got introduced to Narcotics Anonymous then. But at that time, I had already started using. Um, but um, <clears throat> anyway, so when she introduced me to Narcotics Anonymous, man, um, I didn't know it. But at that time, you know, I was going to need what uh, what NA has, uh, you know, given to all of us and stuff. What was it all that she was asking again? Well, I was just kind of asking, you know, your process, how you discovered it, uh, you know, what it looked like before. Like, what was your life? What did it look like being 20 years, 21 years old and completely, you know, um, in the grips of active addiction? Oh, yeah. Yeah, man. Uh, <clears throat> so anyways, just starting from a very early age, you know, I, I got to tell you what happened way, way back, you know, whenever I, I start talking about my disease and stuff. Um, so of course, you know, my family, uh, majority of my family were addicts, you know, from my parents to my aunts, my uncles, hell, even my grandfather. Um, we, we were all addicts, you know, and so, and life, uh, from my earliest memory, you know, it was my parents, it was never, they'd never had a, uh, I guess a normal relationship. Uh, my dad was very abusive to my mother um and they was always uh they were one of them codependent relationships um so so basically they would be off and on for years and uh you know I never really I never really felt safe around my father and hell I barely knew him I only got to know him whenever I turned 17 years old uh but you know at that time growing up I just know that I did not feel safe around this man. Hey, and forgive me if I lose train of thought. Um, I have been, I have started school not long ago. I've been working on so many assignments. Uh, this is one of the the great things that NA is, uh, has uh, one of the great gifts through living the NA program has given me is that, you know, old dreams have awakened, you know, and today possibilities are just fucking endless. Um, uh, but anyway, so I'm, I'm wore out and, uh, but I'm going to go back to my father. So, uh, in the relationship of my parents, so they was always off and on, um, he was in and out. Um, and I remember, I think I was maybe around eight years old, eight years old, whenever, um, him and my mother finally got into another abusive argument. Uh, he laid hands on her and for a period of time, 
I think there's only a handful of times I actually seen him until I turned uh, 17. So from eight years old to 17, you know, there's a big gap there. I never developed a relationship with my dad. And growing up at that, at that, uh, from that age till I was 17, uh, you know, there's a lot of developmental phases that I went through from, you know, puberty to coming into high school to right there at 17, uh, starting to, uh, form my own identity as a man. Like I went through a lot of experiences that were uncomfortable and, um, and they were very hard for me to, uh, to understand, let alone deal with. So, uh, changing the way I felt, um, and building these defensive and kind of like coping skills happened a long time ago, you know, from that very first feeling of fear, uh, of seeing my father too. And not only just my father, but, you know, he was like, my first uh, male role model. So just a parent of the same sex, like, you know, I've always had this inferiority complex and also uh, mistrust toward other men in my life, you know. <clears throat> but anyway, so I, I want to say that because from uh, way before I picked up my first drug, I was on a pursuit of finding relief. You know, I come to find that out through working the steps and how that showed up was, you know, before substance, it was, you know, behaviors, you know, uh, from shutting off to lying, uh, to putting on them, uh, faces that we talk about the masks in the program. You know, like I said, I went through a lot of, in those development, developmental years, like phases of figuring out who I was or um, figuring out how to manage and cope with uh, situations that were uncomfortable. Hey, can uh, I ask you something real quick? So yeah, go ahead. On that, um, do you find that, or did you find that when you were young, and, and, and I know this happens in abusive households a lot, you know, from my own experience, did you find that you were doing things at a very young age to escape reality? Like you can hear the craziness going on in the other room, but you were able to kind of just drift out of the reality for a little bit. Did you, did you experience that too? Whenever you were really young and would hear that going on? Yeah. Yeah, man. Um, so whenever uh, situations would come up and, and my father was around, and things like arguing or getting loud or, or things that would just trigger me moments and events that would trigger me. You know, I had these, uh, I had the, I started isolating, like you were saying, drifting off into my own, uh, <clears throat> I guess, retreat. You know, I would, uh, I got deep into staying in my room, uh, playing games and not going outside or talking to nobody. Um, uh, really separate myself from people, uh, and uh, <clears throat> so, yeah, I mean, I, I have experienced where I would shut myself off from the situation, try to find a safe place, you know. And later on, that became something that was uh, a negative behavior in my life. You know, it hurt me to kind of separate myself or it was harder to connect with others as I grew up. So, yeah, for sure.
you know. Yeah, and I, I just wanted to ask you that. I didn't mean to throw you off track. You were kind of talking about, um, you know, you were talking about, you know, growing up and, and, and experimenting with things that changed the way you feel. That's where you were. That's where yeah. you were at before I asked the question. So I just wanted to throw that in there before we got too far away from that. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> well, I'm glad you kind of stopped me anyways, because I'll start mumbling that, uh, as I'm telling my, my story, but yeah, man. So changing the way I feel, uh, it started out with behaviors, you know, just like the question you asked, you know, I would isolate, um, I would isolate because I started to build this, uh, these complexes, like I was saying, like where, uh, I had mistrust for my dad, you know, and I had a mistrust and I hated feeling that pain of fear, you know, fear that I'm not safe, uh, that, uh, I'm in jeopardy of being hurt. Um, and so, yeah, it was harder to connect with people and, and those behaviors affected my relationships. Uh, you know, as I grew up, it affected school. It affected, you know, uh, my school work or, or any type of aspiration that I might have ever had. You know, them behaviors uh, were were affecting it way before drugs. But as I got got to the age of 13, um, you know, and, and I also want to say my mother at the time was uh, was using through that period where I was eight years old till I turned 17. But she got clean. You know, she got clean at 13. And what I didn't know at that time is that it would be the best decision that she ever made for my life. Um, and the thing is, she was introduced to Narcotics Anonymous by my grandfather. You know, uh, my grandfather was in the program. And in a moment, uh, what what allowed her to to actually try this new way of life was some pain, uh, the pain of her own consequences. You know, she lost us kids. Uh, DCS came and took me and my two sisters, uh, at that time. Uh, thank God our grandmother was around, uh, we was able to go stay with her, but you know, that right there is what, what convinced my mom or gave her a desire to change something, you know? And so she started this journey, uh, and the only way that she seen it working in somebody else's life was through my grandfather. <laughs> And uh, it's going to be pretty cool how that story also kind of uh, kind of comes back into play some years comes down back the road. Back into the topic. Yeah. So. Yeah. Hey, so before we get too far, once again, I want to ask you, because I'm familiar with one side of the story about the DCS case, right, and them coming in. Uh, and I heard how that affected your mother. But what about on your side? So what were you going through when that happened? What was that experience like for you? Oh, man. Um, so like I said, I was already coping at the time with uh, with kind of isolating and staying to myself, you know. Um, it seemed like the dysfunction and everything going around or, or, or the things that were happening around me, like we were staying at my mother's dope dealer's boyfriend's house. And things that would happen in that same normal, like everyday occurrences, they were actually uh, not so normal, you know. But but it was normalized to me. So for that to happen, I want to say that I was completely scared, but I would be lying, you know. If anything, I felt like I felt relief, 
you know. Yeah. But I felt in that moment um, a sense of betrayal for my mother. Um, because I never had my dad. <clears throat> and my dad, I knew that he was using drugs. And to find out that we was being uh, taken away because, you know, of her drug use. It seemed like I was in denial and everything came back to reality in that moment. And I started feeling resentful toward her. And so what I did uh, was I, I shut her out, you know. And even when she did get us back and she was recovering, you know, I, I didn't talk to her for a period of time. You know, I completely shut out, shut my feelings off. And uh, and that's how I coped with that. Yeah. Yeah, that's so I want to ask you this, too, about that situation. Because I had something very similar, you know, my – my father, who was your grandfather, when he had to leave to go to treatment, I was still in high school. But I found when I got into active addiction that I would use what I knew he had shame and guilt and where he felt guilty about leaving me and abandoning me. I would use that to my favor once I got into active addiction. Do you feel like you were doing something that you ever did something similar? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, man. So, <clears throat> You know, like I said, it wasn't long after she got clean and I started using. Uh, and whenever I used the, for the first time, I remember telling myself, like, this is it, you know. I was involved in things like sports. Uh, I had a, a tight-knit uh, friend group by the time I got to uh, to, four, uh, to 14 or 13. And... I was just kind of involved in the social life of growing up at that time. But whenever I I picked up for the first time, there was things that were getting in the way, like, you know, uh, football practice, you know, hell, going to school. Uh, even certain friends that uh, didn't use or didn't go out uh, and use like I did. You know, I went out to parties. I went out to all the events, anything that took me out of uh, – that state of mind that I was in, that fear, you know, that hurt kid. Um, you know, everything, I, I ended up quitting everything. You know, I quit football. You know, I quit uh, going to school. Um, or if I was at school, I'd be late or I wouldn't be present there. I would be so heavily invested on what the hell I'm going to do either that weekend or after I get out, you know. Uh, and at that time, it was hard to see the quality of my life because I was uh, I was young, still living with my mother, and I was raising all kinds of hell in the house. And uh, any time that she would give me any type of constructive criticism, like the question you asked, you know, that was my opportunity to justify my using in any way, in any means possible, yeah. in a totally centered way without any regard of how it might make her feel, you know, because it was all about me. So, yeah, definitely. Yeah, so I know for me, uh, I got clean at, what was it, 26? But I think by 21, I had no idea that I had even, that I had a problem. So when did you start to notice, do you remember what age you was when you started to notice that your drug use became an issue? Or was causing these yeah. consequences? Yeah, so um, 
I ended up picking what I guess some would say, you know, my drug of choice, uh, the one that kind of sent me on that, uh, I guess, uh, accelerated spiral down to the, to my bottom. Yeah. Uh, I, anyways, I picked up my drug of choice at the age of 17. Uh, but I didn't start to notice that it was a problem until um, I turned 18 years old. Um, when I turned 18 years old, uh, it got to the point to where all the hell that I was raising within my own home. And by this point, uh, I believe my mother has like, how many years is that? She's got like five years clean, you know, um, by the time I turned 18. And she stayed in the rooms and worked on herself and worked steps and started applying the principles of this program enough to where she was able to hold some strict boundaries, you know. And uh, I even told her, I said, I said, you know, this place is crazy as hell. I'm, I'm ready to get out of here and go do my own thing, this, this, and that. And she was more than willing, you know, to allow me to go do that. So I remember uh, I said that I was willing to leave, but more or less I was getting kicked out regardless, you know. Um, so she held that boundary. And uh, what that did was it started the – process of me experiencing the consequences of my own actions you know uh because like the question you asked earlier uh that excuse of well this is how i was raised you know this is what my mother did to me or you know what about all the years that uh you know i didn't have her to to blame for my actions and there was only a matter of time before uh my reasoning for doing the things that i did would uh soon um, would soon not work, you know? Yeah. I'm going to bring Travis in on this. So Travis, what were you? 39, 38 when you got clean? 38. Yeah. I noticed that. How old were, how old were you though? When you started noticing that this shit's getting out of hand? Well, of course you do the usual, you know, drinking yeah. in high school parties, smoking a little pot, blah, 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 you know, all that. Uh, I think I was 20, 23 or 24, the first time I ever went to jail. Yeah. And that's when I noticed that, you know, there might be a problem here. I don't know for sure, but, you know, uh, God helped me get out of here. And, and I, I promise I won't ever do it again. I won't ever do it again. I won't ever do it again. You know, yeah. and of course, you know, I mean, you go straight back. Uh, but that was the biggest turning point was was like jails and institutions you know it was it was just a revolving door yeah uh, you get out for a little while do the same thing um but you know like brexton is 25 right now and my hardcore using didn't really happen until i was 24 yeah you know got out of high school quit started you know working gotta find that good job you know that that'll solve anything yeah. Finding a good job and getting getting some money and you know, uh Yeah, getting you a divorce, you know, and that was it. Man, it was like met some of my old friends that I was running around with and man, it was off the races. So, I mean, six months later I was in jail. Yeah. We now you would you say that you grew up in a protected home? Sheltered. Sheltered. 
So do you feel like <laughs> at 24 is when you kind of broke those chains and were able to? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Run absolutely. Well? I was yeah. like, wow, yeah. this is what I've been missing right here. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. I didn't know we could do all this stuff. <laughs> you know? Yeah, there's a whole nother world out here. Um, break and go ahead. Hit on your, um, to hit on your point of where I I started noticing, um, I started noticing that my using was a problem. Like uh, whenever I did finally go out and leave, and my mom uh, refused to take me uh back into the house because she knew I was using at that time. You know, she knew about my using throughout uh, all of high school. And when it came time, I graduated and all that stuff. She just wasn't going to put up with it anymore. So she was more than willing for me to leave. But in doing that, I started to experience uh, all the things that you'll read in Am I an Addict, that IP. You know, um, <clears throat> things like holding down a job. Um, not only that, having a place to stay. Um it was uh, sooner or later I found myself like couch surfing from house to house, you know, until my buddies got sick and tired of me, until they got sick and tired of my using. Then I found myself staying at uh, uh, my dope dealer's house. And not only that, just uh, dope house to dope house, doing that couch surfing. And um, getting jobs, losing jobs, getting another job and losing one, getting in this relationship with this girl, thinking that, you know, maybe just maybe if I, if I get in this relationship with this girl, cause I see such this uh, beautiful life uh, for us, I fantasize this beautiful life for us. Maybe that might be what it takes for me to, uh, to get a leg up and where I'm kind of in this hole. And, and man, I, it seemed like everything I tried, whether I tried stop you, like Travis said, you know, I'll never do it again. Um, I had experiences where I told myself, look, I ain't going to fucking use today. And before you knew it, by the end of that day, I was using. Like, I didn't know how to use. And and let alone, it was like I didn't know how to live or I didn't know how to hold down jobs. You know, um, things that are important to me today, like commitment and honesty and all this stuff. Man, if I if I was to live by them principles, I would be at risk of experiencing that same pain that I felt uh, years ago as a kid, you know. So, of course, that wasn't in the question. I wasn't practicing any of that shit, nor did I think it was the solution. It was a uh, part of the solution to to my issue, you know. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I definitely I definitely see how. um uh, but it was a blessing, man. You know, she allowed me to experience the consequences of my own actions. Uh, pretty soon, I couldn't deny my living and the way that I was living all the way into the point to where it humbled me. And I said, look, I just need some fucking help, you know. And uh, that's when I reached out. So, yeah. You know, to me, I look back on that, her holding those boundaries. And as hard as that was... To me, that's almost like her making an amends to you for all that stuff that happened before. Because are you able to appreciate how difficult holding those boundaries are? Oh, man. Uh, so being in recovery today and having some uh, some cousins that I grew up with my whole life, 
who were also using uh, and trying to hold them same boundaries. Not only am I grateful for it, it, it laid down, you know, I had some experience on how I could, uh, how I could reuse that same, uh, I guess, technique you could say um, when dealing with other people that I loved, whether they were friends or like I said, my cousin, you know, my cousin passed back in November uh, from an overdose and, uh, you know, I'm I'm glad you asked that question because whenever I share if I'm doing H and I or if I'm sharing wherever it's at, you know, I'll talk about how the program of Narcotics Anonymous was working in my life way before I allowed it, you know. Yeah. Uh not only was it a hard thing for a mother or any parent to do to tell their kid me no, uh, whenever I would come and look, we're amazing manipulators like i would come crying i would come trying to use that guilt trip make her feel shameful it didn't matter what time of night it was if she had work in the morning like i really tormented her in that in that time and her as a mother against her own nature knowing that the only thing she can do is allow me to experience my pain uh that was yeah that was definitely hard on her but yeah, not not just a mother, but a mother that's in recovery who yep. feels like she's in the process of making right all the wrongs that she did whenever y'all were children. Uh yep. that way in honor as well as, you know, so yeah, I think I think the whole situation's pretty awesome that she was able to stick to that and shit, it probably saved both of you to be honest with you. But you yeah, touched on sure. something a minute ago, and we hadn't had an opportunity to talk about this. But um, let's let's talk about Branton for a minute. Um, yeah. So, Branton is your cousin. He's my nephew. You know, my my brother's kid, your uncle's kid. Uh, Y'all mm-hmm. grew up very close. Y'all were very similar in age. Went through school together. Uh, I think it's important that we talk about stuff like that too, because that's the reality. That's because that, well, let's be honest. That's the world is different. I feel like people don't get as many chances as we used to, used to like Travis, how many chances you think you had? Like realistically, let's see. I mean, I went to treatment, I think about eight or nine times, eight or nine times. Some of those were year long programs too, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. I've, I've been through a few cults. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> you take that into consideration, but imagine if fentanyl was around while you're using, you know, I, I got out of the game at right, the right time. I mean, I'll, I'll, right time. Cause I mean, if you're five or six years clean right now, you got, you got out at the exact right time. But I felt like we had way more opportunities than kids are, you know, the young kids do today. Because yeah. Social using does not happen today. It, and it's in everything. Yeah. You know, like I work in treatment and you're seeing it in, we got guys that's like, I've never done nothing but smoke weed, but I woke up in the hospital in the emergency room and Narcan. You know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just, you Talk know. Talk about a buzzkill. No doubt. Yeah. Man, I just, they hit you. <laughs> it's like, I can't imagine going from, you know, from high to actually like uh, withdrawals in seconds, you know, because you think, well, this is going to get me by for a little while. And then somebody shoves that thing up your nose and 
next thing you know, you're going through withdrawals and hating life again, you know, what we do. And, and that's what I think about, though, when I think about Branton is like he didn't do anything any different than the rest of us did. You know, he wasn't any worse off or any, you know, uh, than a lot of us that have gotten clean. But, you know, just, yeah. and that's why I'm so glad that you're coming, that you're willing to come on and talk about, you know, being young in recovery and cold hard truth is, is we got to, we got to reach people faster than we used to is what I believe because I mean, we're done when I got clean and it wasn't that long ago, there were seven people an hour that died of an overdose. Was it 30 now? 12. 12? Yeah. people. Yeah. Yeah. In five and a half years, it's, it's rose to five more. Yeah. Almost. Wow. Well, it's close to double. Yeah. You know, close to double the amount of people in five years. I figured it was higher than that. Really? I did. It, it may be, you know, that was, hell, that was probably a year ago when those figures were out. It was 12 a year and, and I, 12 an hour. 12 an hour yeah 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 but anyways yeah, yeah. talk about yeah. talk about that relationship with branton and and you know just talk about him for a little bit yeah so you know uh me and branton we grew up together um you know as long as i can remember uh he was always he was always a good-hearted loving person you know what i mean uh like we all are but like many of us it don't make a fuck when it comes to the disease of addiction what we are uh so branton you know uh in his last in his last uh, year uh he he tried multiple treatment facilities uh he tried many of the things because he had what we all have and that's a desire to stay clean but that desire ain't going to keep you clean, you know? Um, and in that process, you know, like I said, I, I just used what was showed to me, you know, what worked in my life. You know, my mom, she held these strict boundaries. Uh, and even in moments like, cause me and Branton started using together. Most of the drugs that, you know, Branton was introduced to, you know, we did them together. I introduced them to him. You know, I was just a little bit older than him, and there was still that complex of, like, when it came to hanging out together, he he always uh, was intrigued by by how I lived my life at that time, which was partying. And uh, he was heavily involved in sports, you know. And, and uh, so when he got a chance to actually hang out with, I guess you could say, you know, the cousin who likes to get fucked up and talk to women and things like that, like – he, uh, we just started uh, using a lot, a lot together, and I introduced a lot of it to him. And uh, feeling like it was my responsibility to show him a clean way to live, in a way, you know. Uh, but I got it fucked up with a lot of my friends when I first got clean. Like, I thought it was my responsibility to bring them in here and make sure they start working steps and do all these things and that we all get clean together and, and, you know, happy story. But reality of it is, is that, uh, I can only keep myself clean. You know, I can, uh, do the work that showed to, that's showed to me. And says that if we live the narcotics anonymous program, um, uh, 
what does it say? It says, uh, never have we seen an act use that's a narcotics never. anonymous program. Yeah. Yeah, we have never uh, seen mm-hmm. an act use of relapse. But uh so in that process, man, you know, I just I held boundaries. Uh there was many a times where he were uh he would want help, money. You know, I've never told people these things, just like we all do. Like I always wanted, like I always asked my mom or any of my friends. Right. But he uh, he would do these certain things. But when it came down to him actually wanting to try something different and seeking some help, uh, like going to treatment or coming with him on to his, uh, to his court dates, bringing him to his court dates, you know, in those moments I was there for him. Uh, like, like we all do, um, because whenever I was ready, uh, people showed up for me, uh, but you know, treatment doesn't, uh, keep you clean. You know, I got clean in treatment, uh, but it's not what's keeping me clean today. Uh, yeah. And and so I feel like that's where he was at, man. He was just at a point to where he had experienced a little bit of it and he hadn't learned the lesson that we got to do this for life that we're not going to get cured, you know? And I think he was in the process of, of, you know, putting in more research and, you know, yeah, that's, that's why it's so crucial for us, man, to just, you know, not use no matter what, because we never know when it's the last one. And, you know, our, our family has been extremely blessed in the fact of how many people have gotten clean, but, the one that you know the ones that we've lost and like you know my brother won't ever be the same again yeah you know but here's one thing um because like you said it's a harsh reality nowadays like with this fit and all that's going around we don't have uh the luxury of going out for uh so many uh so many years and coming back to recover like if we go out we're likely to die you know um and for young addicts out there, because I got, I went through the same thing, you know, I felt like I was giving a life up of hanging out with friends, experiencing my younger years of, of, uh, what most of the people that I grew up with are doing. But whenever I worked that first step, you know, um, that first step is not only talking about honesty or surrender, you know, it talks about acceptance in there too. Uh, it talks about acceptance, that I have the disease of addiction and in that in accepting that I have, that means that uh, I'm not responsible for my disease, but I am responsible for my recovery, you know, and that if things in my life hasn't happened, uh, like how I use drugs, if I didn't use intravenously or none of that, you know, I was introduced to that, uh, uh, yet, you know, you you're eligible to um and after listening to many other people who have who have been in and out of the room share that you know i said that i was going to do that shit too yet here i am and what that told me is that you know man i don't have to experience them hard consequences i mean the ones that i have experienced have been necessary but if i can receive the message that uh that I don't have to experience some consequences that I don't have to be in a dumpster shooting up with rainwater, none of that shit to be an addict. Uh, you know, my pain is enough. 
you know. Um, yeah, that's and that great... life that I, I think okay. I'm uh, missing out on, you know, I'm not. I, I would have sold myself short for the life that I got, you know, today in Narcotics Anonymous. So, but go ahead. And I think that's a great point for people listening too, right? Like it's all that you have to do to be eligible for this program is have a desire to stop using. But for me, like all I need to do to be able to fit in is know that I have used despite negative consequences. If I continue to use despite negative consequences, then sign me up. You're eligible. You've done enough. You know, you don't have to wait till you get a 20 year prison sentence or like Rexon said, you know, you're living in a dumpster or, you know, uh, you start selling your body for dope or any of that. It's easy, especially, and I got, I imagine it's easy whenever you're 19, 20 years old to be looking at those people and say, I'll never be like that. Mm-hmm. Your mind can't even comprehend the levels that addiction will take you to and what you'll be willing to do. Like, yes. Yeah. It's just, if you can't stop despite all, if your family's falling apart, if, you know, you can't stay in school or you can't keep a job or if you've got multiple drug-related crimes or multiple DUIs or whatever, like, you're eligible. Come on in. Yeah. You don't have to wait till those yets come true. Yeah. That's exactly that's right. That's the disease's primary purpose. It just wants you dead. It just wants you, you dead. Know what I mean? And take everything mm-hmm. that it possibly can from you. And the best thing that it can do is convince us that it don't exist. Absolutely. <laughs> I don't have a problem. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I'm not with cops him. would get off my back. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So, let, let's talk a little bit on the topic before we run out of time. Let, let's get to. So for me, uh, one of the biggest things that, that comes to mind, and you touched on this a little bit, being young in recovery, is obviously the big thing is I guess my childhood's over and my fun's over. I'll never experience a good time again because I'm going to go sit in them rooms with all them people who sit around and cry about their problems all the time. Is that is that some, am I Am I on the right track of what? <laughs> yeah, that was my that was my expectations at the time. Uh, you know, walking in there and <laughs> in my home group, majority of everybody was 40 years old and, uh, you know, so I, it was easy. Buddy. It was really hard. Yeah, I know. I know. But it was really hard for me to see myself and other people, you know, uh, at first. Uh, to be honest, it really didn't take long after I started going to some meetings that I actually uh, realized that I did relate with these folks, but I still had that, uh, concept of, of, you know, I'm still different though. You know what I mean? Uh, and that's whenever I got to the second step, you know, uh, where it talked about open-mindedness and hope and coming to believe, you know, and in that process, it talked about, um, we relate with pain. That's what we relate with. You know, it don't matter how old somebody is. It don't matter how, you know, if you're black, white, gay, straight, what matters is, is how we felt inside before we came here. And every time somebody shares, you know, sometimes I'll 
I only listened to half of what they shared because I resonated with so much of, of what they said earlier in their share, you know, and, and that's where we all relate by the end of the day, uh, that pain. So, uh, and that was satisfying, you know, that satisfied questions that I had my whole life. And, uh, uh, and so, yeah, yeah, but NA is plenty fucking fun. If you ain't been to a convention, man, go to a convention, you know, and if I'm there, you'll catch me at the entertainment late night, probably dancing if they're having dancing or, uh, you know, just living life. You know, today I get to actually live, be happy, joyous, and free. That's something I've never experienced, you know. Um, my earliest memory, like I said, was uh, I, I was fearful and because of my dad and his abusive and my mom's abusive relationship with one another, you know, both of them. And so it was it was hard to be happy, joyous, and free as a child. Now, I had good moments and stuff like that. But uh, it just seemed like it was tainted with that fear. Uh, but man, today in NA and working steps, uh, there's plenty of things to do. Um, there's plenty of activities, events, things that are actually fulfilling to my spirit today. You know, I, I've got to experience that spiritual awakening people talk about in the rooms, uh, which is just, you know, through the process of working steps and just experiencing life clean. You know, I've come to go through hard situations like losing my cousin, like tripping over some of the the milestones of life, like getting my first place, uh, catastrophizing me, uh, being able to pay rent. Because it wasn't just paying rent. It was, you know, the whole fear of failure. Like, But somehow I made it through. And what I've found is I've built a relationship uh, with my higher power like uh, you know that hope with the track record that I hear shared a lot like I started to gain faith and by the time I got to the 11th step you know I built this relationship and trust that with or without you know I'm going to be okay I'm going to live life happy joyous and free uh, and not only that I want nothing but God's will in my life Cause I've made some, I mean, I'm, I was 21 when I came into the program. I made some fucked up decisions and I still do today, you know, uh, but the quality of my life has changed drastically and the peace that I have from with, from within has came from, you know, working the steps, man. So if you're out there and you're young and you're worried about your life being over, you, you heard it here first, but Brexton is attesting to that we can have a fucking blast in Narcotics Anonymous. Next thing I want to talk about is a recovery network is important. We talk about it all the time. We've we've people have told us about a recovery network. You said even inside your home group you struggled finding people who were your own age. So talk mm -hmm. about how you've developed this recovery network and, and how is that going for you? Man, I mean, it's been from taking the most simple suggestions like going to meetings, get you a sponsor, uh, start working steps. Uh, then as I continued to go to meetings, I heard terms like get in the middle of the boat, hang hang with the winners. Uh, and as I took them suggestions, 
uh, I slowly started finding answers, uh, answers to, uh, to some of the problems that I face. Like, uh, you know, I'm young, so I'm experiencing a lot of first in my life clean and, um, and building my network. I have come to find that there are people, uh, in recovery who are my age, you know, but more than that, there's a lot of there's a lot of situations that are, um, and a lot of people who've experienced uh, things like going to school, people who's, who've experienced things like switching jobs or just doing. Everybody's got a, a a bunch of experiences in in Narcotics Anonymous, and and I think that if I have any type of aspiration or dream, it's important for me as an addict to to get them. Uh, uh, to get their numbers, broaden that network, and not only get their numbers, call them, start building that relationship. I just went to school uh, for my first week last week, and I remember my first day was like just so overwhelming and so overstimulated. And I called up a good friend that I I heard speak in Nashville, Dale C, and I was able to sit there and he shared his experience, strength, and hope with me. You know. And he told me the thing that I hear time and time again, you know, even being here uh, for the short time I have three years, like it still perplexes me whenever somebody says, Hey, everything's going to be okay. Cause it is, you know, it is. Uh, but he got to share with me uh, his first day of going to school. And he went to, he went to college. Uh, man, I can't, I'd be lying if I told you the age, but it wasn't my age, you know, uh, but I really needed him in that moment, and I would not have had him had I not broadened my network out. Uh, and uh, there's a lot of things that I also struggle with that uh, that other people don't. You know, like I have a part of my story has to do with pornography, you know. And I know this one guy that I met also, I believe it was in Murfreesboro, that I, I speak with him a lot when it comes to uh, the sexual part of my obsession and compulsion um, and how that makes me feel. Me and him relate in a lot of ways to that, you know. There's a lot of people who I believe, you know, God appointed them in my, li- in my life uh, for the various things that I, that I struggle with still today, uh, that they have solutions and that I can get through them uh, but yeah, it's very important to broaden your network. Yeah, it's very. pretty cool too because I imagine, you know, for me now, when I see a person in recovery, uh, I guess I don't know if it's because I've heard that reading so many times about age, race, sexual identity, creed, religion, or lack of religion. Regardless of where they are on that spectrum, mm-hmm. I can relate to them and I can have a conversation with them where before. I got into recovery. I was always looking for differences. You know, I was always look. I can, you can't tell me this. You're only this age or, or you're too damn old to understand what I am. Or I can't, you know, you didn't grow up where I grew up. I know? spilt more dope than he's ever done. Yeah. That's the stupidest <laughs> shit. You know, they want to shame him. Up. I spilt more dope. Motherfucker. You're just trying to stay clean. T- another 24 hours, just like the rest of us, you know? Yeah. So, you know that that shit gets on my nerves, but anyways, yeah. I digress. Um, <laughs> you had a little moment there, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. That, 
That's so well, it, like it says in our literature, man, we relate with pain. Uh, yeah, and that just that says it all for me, you know. And who who can uh, who can uh, provide a standard for how much is enough besides myself and my own pain? Like enough was enough for me, and that's period. And you know what it. I what I look at when I think about your situation too is because you're currently you are the H and I chair of the North Alabama area, and yeah. I'm not asking you to brag on yourself. I'm going to do it for you. I was the previous H and I chair for that. Oh, area. So you're going to toot your own whistle? I'm going to toot bit. my own whistle. No, but I'm going to talk about. <laughs> I know how difficult that job is, and I couldn't imagine doing it. You know. 10, 15 years ago when I was, you know, what, 10 years ago. Um, yeah, I would just be so overwhelmed, man. And you've come in and you've taken it over and taken it to a new level. And, you know, we're not only uh, have the ability to be able to get clean at a young age, we have ability to contribute, you know, we, we are needed. You're needed. So it's not like that yeah, you can come and cross the line and we'll let you sit in here. No, we fucking need you. Like, we need H&I chairs. We need vice chairs of the area. We need all this shit. And you're more than qualified to be able to do it. And you could be like Brixton, man. He come in and, of course, he had his fears and his doubts, but he's fucking took it and run with it, man. And uh, he didn't let something as minuscule as age or any of that shit get in his way and uh i think that's important for people to know too it's not just like oh yeah if you're this age we'll let you no we fucking need you you're just as you'll be just as important as every fucking body else you know yeah. Um, yeah. yeah i mean fear ego and inferiority has ruled my whole life to this point you know and and going on to eight you know serving and giving back you know i had great people who showed me the way um our home group was changing in such a way and i don't think i would have got clean had it not changed the way it was like uh implementing traditions and stuff like that uh but man uh just being of service you know i was taught to serve it's not about me you know it's not about uh my what my ego thinks or or my fears or this this and that like i'm just giving back and being of service to to this uh service that we give out within our area which is h and i and i'm glad to do so um um it was done at the treatment facility that i was at you know i I can't say that's when the message stuck it was whenever i got to a meeting is when uh really things started to uh manifest i guess uh the message did that seed started to sprout but hey the seed was planted there you know, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's an honor to do h and because you're going to an addict who's literally at their bitter end, you know, they're in jails and institutions. Uh, but going back to what you're saying, you know, about just uh, being young, man, I mean, it, I just did it the way that it was showed to me, the same way I do everything in life. I don't let fear run it. I find somebody within my network who's experienced going to school or or who has done a service position and and anything that I that I might be fearful of or my ego's getting all out of whack, I just call them up and I and I ask them, hey, so when you felt this, this, and this way, you know, how the fuck did you get through it? And they yeah. and they would 
ground me back to truth. So, yeah, not not one of us has all the answers, but all of us together, we got them all. There's somebody out there going through or been through what you you're going through in their claim, and got through right. the claim. Um, so you ain't gonna figure out nothing. It's no, already been figured out. It's already been figured out. You know. Like like right. your like your sponsor always says, there's this clear path and then there's that briar patch. I think I'll go through the briars. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> turn flesh, I'm blaze a new trail. But uh, yeah, before we get off here, man, because we're about out of time, uh, I want to say that I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful that you got clean. You've you've helped a tremendous amount of people, not just young people, but people from all walks of life, man, and uh. I look forward to the future for you and, and when you get out of school and, you know, you got a, you got a lot, a lot of good things is going to come your way, man. If you just keep going. Uh, but before we leave, I want to ask you what your message is. You know, that person who's maybe young or fearful or, you know, that, that thinks we are just a bunch of old people that get in and cry about our feelings in meetings or, Hell, maybe it's a kid that's using that their parents don't even know. Their parents may be listening to this podcast in the car and they're like, holy shit. There's somebody <laughs> yeah. my age. Yeah. But what's your message to that person? Man, uh, just basically everything we talked about tonight, like enough is enough. You know, uh, if you have a desire to stop using, you don't have to go and, and uh, further to qualify yourself if you have that desire that's all you got to have to be a member of narcotics anonymous and to allow this program to work in your life um also uh man i don't have all the answers figured out you know uh, none of us do um but it has been a amazing journey and i double dog fucking dare you to try it out you know, uh, don't cheat yourself out of this. If you've heard this message tonight, you know, it was a message that was given to given to me. And uh, I'm just honored to give that back. And uh, I'm a believer in I went my whole life to get to this uh, moment now. You know, my sponsor got out of prison for the for the last time whenever I on the year that I was born, you know, so. Uh, yeah, man, I'm a, I'm a huge believer in I'm I'm going to stay clean for that same addict who feels young. And hopefully uh, if you do decide to come to Narcotics Anonymous, we will cross paths. I assure you we will, because I'll be going to conventions and I get involved and I suggest you do, too. Come on with it. Well, thank you so much, Brexton. Couldn't thank you enough for coming on here and doing that. Appreciate you, buddy. Now, next week. We'll be back again, and we got a special treat for you. We got the dynamic duo of Chris B. and Boyd P. That's right. Both of them together are going to come on, and we're going to talk about a little NA history. Uh, if you haven't checked those guys out, check them, check them out on their uh, YouTube page. Uh, they have done a tremendous amount of work in collecting the archives and the history of our fellowship to the best of their ability and it's way more than we can ever cover in an hour but go and check some of that stuff out man you have no fucking idea 
Like I still can't even comprehend yeah. the price that has been paid. I mean, they go all the way back to talking about Lexington, Kentucky, and all that, all that craziness that. that they did back then. You know, yeah. sign yourself up for prison. Right. Yeah, <laughs> that's no. the craziest thing ever. Yeah, people riding bicycles to Miami, Florida, from Nebraska, and just donating plasma and all this shit, man. Yeah, when you all pick that book up, just think about those people, what they went through to get that literature to you. No shit. So, but yeah, that. that's what we got. That's what we got for you next week. Look look forward to it. We'll see you then. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for joining us on our Living Clean podcast. This is another platform that we can share our message of recovery, which is an addict, any addict, can stop using drugs, lose a desire to use, and find a new way to live. Join that no matter what club. You can contact us through text. The number is 931-306-9364.